Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Please bless the tidings and offerings to further your kingdom and for anybody that got sick or hurt during the winter that will be healed. Amen.
103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. what happens when you skip choir practice you don't know when the songs end let me ask the kids to come and have a seat with me good morning boys and girls how are you guys doing today good I have got a treat for you in this little uh this little food container here I am so excited about this treat that I've got to give you I don't usually give treats out because the children's church workers uh, get mad at me if I give out lots of sugar and candy, but I've got some great treats here for you. Let's see here. I've got, got some mayonnaise. Anybody want mayonnaise? I've got some hot sauce. No. I've got some zesty buffalo sauce. Does anybody want barbecue sauce? No. I've got uh, Ooh, what about this one? Sweet and spicy sriracha sauce. No? Well, uh, what about this? And I think I can say it because they're not a, sp a paid sponsor of Northside Baptist Church. Uh, Chick-fil-A sauce. Yeah. Uh, actually, I guess they probably are. Uh, I don't have any Polynesian sauce because I've got all that on my desk. Um, so... Nobody really is excited about these treats like I was. You want the hot sauce? What would you do with it? Eat it right now, just in front of everybody? Yeah, well, um, you know what makes all these things better, honestly? You know what makes all these things better? Chicken. That's right. That's right. And so I have done you a disservice by introducing you to all these sauces, and you can't get a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget today for anything. Right? 
because they're closed so, they're co- so their workers can go to church. So I've got all these sauces, and they're all good. I like them all. But they're no good to me today because I don't have the, the real thing that I need to go with these sauces. I don't, have the, I don't have the chicken to go with these sauces, right? You know, as I was thinking about this, I saw all these sauces in the office over there, and I thought, I thought, how many times is this like church? Hang with me for just a second, okay? Think about church for a second. Are there things that you enjoy doing at church? What, what sort of things do you enjoy at church? What sort of things do you enjoy about church? You enjoy seeing your friends? How many of you guys like seeing your friends? You guys like seeing your friends? How many of you guys like to... Caroline. What's that? Caroline. Yeah, okay. How many of you like to sing songs? Does anybody like to sing songs? I know some of you like to sing songs. How many of you... See, we got a whole list here. Uh, how many? How many... How many of us like to do arts and crafts, uh, like doing arts and crafts, okay? And, and there are times where we play games, like uh, Vacation Bible School, we come together and we play games, and, and we like hearing the stories from God's Word, and all those things are good, um, but if you don't have the main thing, you're missing something, okay? So we come to church, and all those are good things, but if you don't have Jesus, all those things are really kind of like sauces without chicken. They may taste good but they're really not satisfying. They really don't do us much good. you got to have something to go with these things to really enjoy what, what these things do. And that's what Jesus is for us. You know, we love all the things about church, but if we don't have Jesus in our lives, all those things about church really aren't satisfying. They're just, they're just temporary things that go away. You know what happens to those arts and crafts you do in, in children's church? You know what happens to them a lot? They get filed in a special place in our house called File 13. A lot of times those arts and crafts show up in the trash can. What happens to the song that you sing? Can you hold on to that and keep that? No. It goes away. As soon as you sing it, it's gone. Uh, what, happens, what happens to friends that we make? Well, sometimes those friends move away or, 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 you know, sometimes that happens. All those things are very temporary things. But when Jesus is what holds all those things together, then they take on new meaning and, and new importance. And all those things that are, that are toppings, that are good, are even better when we have Jesus to make it uh, to make it important, okay? Let's pray together and thank thank God for Jesus who came and 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 makes everything else we do fantastic. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus who is the author, perfecter of our faith. Thank you for Jesus who who makes church what it is, Lord. We we love singing and we love meeting our friends and all those things, Lord, but but if we don't have Jesus, then what's the point of all those things? Why why do we sing songs if we don't know who Jesus is to sing those songs to? Why do we why do we hear the stories if we, if we don't know who, the, who Jesus is who wrote the stories? What, why, do we, why do we enjoy our friends if we don't have Jesus to make those friendships so much better? So, Lord, I pray for these boys and girls that they will all understand who Jesus is and how important he is in their lives, God, and that they will understand that the things we do at church are only made better because of who Jesus is. We pray these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Thank you, guys. of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, worthy of all of the offering we bring. You are worthy, Father, Creator, you are worthy. Savior, sustainer, you are worthy, worthy and wonderful.
merciful, worthy of worship and praise. Worthy of reverence, worthy of fear, worthy of love and devotion, worthy of bowing and bending of knees, worthy of all this and added to these. You are worthy, Father, Creator, you are worthy, Savior, Sustainer, you are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. Almighty Father, Master and Lord, King of all kings and Redeemer, Wonderful Counselor, Comforter, Friend, Savior and Source of our life without end, You are worthy, Father, Creator, You are worthy, Savior, Sustainer, You are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. As we share God's word together this morning, uh, you've been at the towards the end of the Bible for a little while. We're going to go towards the middle. So if you're starting to lose the book of Ephesians, uh, you can uh, you can glue it back in now. Uh, we're going to begin the book of Jeremiah, the second longest book in the Old Testament. So uh, buckle up. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the, 30th, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah uh, in this season, Lord. Bless us as we embark on a new journey. May we understand your word and may we make it applicable to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Contrary to popular belief, Jeremiah was more than just a bullfrog. For a moment, I considered naming this series better than a bullfrog. <laughs> but then I realized the title might be lost on all those born prior to 1985. An interesting bit of information that I ran across uh, actually attempted um, 
to spiritualize the opening lyrics of Three Dog Nights, Joy to the World. Some have suggested that the song was uh, represented God's desire to unite all people in happiness. The bullfrog, with his distinctive call that stands out in nature, represents God's voice in this interpretation. Uh, there may be some churches where that interpretation might fly this morning. We're going to skip that interpretation and get a little bit deeper today. In reality, the songwriter Hoyt Axton told a different story. With the chorus and medley already written, I think he stole that from a Christmas song, he added some placeholder lyrics where he intended to write proper verses. What came out of his mouth was that famous first line, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Axon said, Jeremiah was an expedient of the time. I had the chorus for three months. I took a drink of wine, leaned upon the speaker, and said, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. It was meaningless. It was a temporary lyric, but before I could rewrite it, they cut it, and it was a hit. And so it was these nonsense placeholder lyrics became part of rock history. Those religious interpretations rarely take into account that the songwriter was a bit more of a hellraiser than a student of the Bible. He was a heavy drinker, a pot smoker, with a passion for fast cars, women, and motorcycles. By the time he wrote Joy to the World, he was twice divorced with hundreds of speeding tickets on his record. It might have done him some good to actually read the book of Jeremiah. So instead of dealing with a bullfrog, I elected for a less controversial title, The Prophet's Tears. You've likely heard that Jeremiah is called the Weeping Prophet. Why is he the weeping prophet? Because he cried tears of sadness, not only because he knew what was about to happen, but because no matter how hard he tried, the people would not listen. Jeremiah was an incredibly lonely prophet. We're told in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 2, that he was forbidden to marry or have children. We know that friends were not very prominent in Jeremiah's life. And the people of Israel, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom at that time, had become so hardened by the numbing effects of their sin that they no longer believed, really believed anything about God, nor did they have any fear of God. Jeremiah preached for 40 years. And not once during that 40-year time did he see any real success in changing or softening the hearts or minds of the stubborn, idolatrous people of Judah. We see it reflected in So if you're doing the Bible reading plan, uh, you got through Genesis, no problem. You're about to go to Job, okay? That's a little more, little more difficult than Genesis. You get to Jeremiah, and there's going to be some, some times there where you might glaze over a little bit, okay? So you'll need some encouragement when you get there. And calm down, I'm not going to preach through every single verse of the first 25 chapters of the book. Uh, some of y'all were already planning your, your next two-month vacation uh, just, to, just to be ready for that. Don't worry, we're not doing that. But as we read Jeremiah from a, from a 20,000-foot perspective, we recognize that the church today is in very much the same way. The church today preaches and preaches and preaches. We preach the gospel. We preach the call for repentance. And we, we beg a culture to turn back to God. But guess what? We don't see much fruit. We don't see much fruit today. Do you feel like the culture's turning? I don't. You see, 
you see bubbles of hope here and there, but by and large, we are living in a time and a culture where, where people are as far away from God as they've ever been. So we identify very much with the prophet Jeremiah with a word of, of warning, a, war, a word of judgment against the nation, but a nation doesn't want to hear it. But it might do us some good if we would be heartbroken like Jeremiah over the depravity of our nation. Too many of us would rather just wall ourselves off and us for and no more mentality, when in fact we should be heartbroken at the depravity that we see going on around us. By way of introduction, I don't want to bore you with facts that you can pick up in a good study Bible. Uh, a lot of times that's a preachers get a week off, you know, we'll just, we'll just kind of introduce a book and, and, and we just go through the intro of a study Bible and tell everybody that. We'll go find a good study Bible and read it for yourself. So I don't want to bore you with those kind of facts. We can talk about who wrote it. We know who wrote it. The book of Jeremiah contains the words of Jeremiah the prophet, but those words were probably compiled by his disciples, specifically Baruch is the name that's mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't sit down and write the book like the apostle Paul did. Jeremiah in his prophetic ministry as he preached and taught and gave oracles and things like that those things were recorded and then were later compiled if you read Jeremiah it doesn't flow chronologically it's not that you can begin at the beginning and and get to the end it doesn't flow that way so it it was it's a it's a compilation of what Jeremiah said during his prophetic ministry we can talk about the date that it was written if you like, but the early 600s B.C. is sufficient. It's important to note that Jeremiah's ministry was 40 years long, and it took place during some of the most rugged, tumultuous times in the Old Testament. We can talk about the cultural conditions of the nation of Israel at that time, but again, this will be an ongoing aspect of our study, not something that we establish today, but something that we look at as we go along. Because understand, a prophet's voice only makes sense when it is considered in the context of its audience. A prophet's voice, while, while certainly useful, and we certainly can glean much from it, that prophet's voice is amplified when we consider it in the context of who he was speaking to. And so he wasn't speaking to us first. He was speaking to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, and then we can take those principles and then bring them into contemporary culture. And we can even talk about Jeremiah's contemporaries. We know Ezekiel and Daniel in particular had prophetic ministries that somewhat overlapped with Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. Uh, don't know they ever saw each other, met one another, but we do know that they were contemporaries of one another's time. One interesting thing to think about as we begin to get to work here is, is Jeremiah begins with a very specific date the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. You can, you can date that. We know when this begins. We know when the prophet Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry. And when you go back and read the prophets and read the history books of the Old Testament, you will find that the, the history of the nation of, of Israel was reckoned according to the years of the reigns of the kings. And so if you wanted to know the timetable of something, for instance, in the prophet Isaiah, his call begins in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, a, a time marker put in place based on the reign of a king. That's how these Old Testament dates are calculated, and we have a pretty good handle, give or take a year or two, of when these things took place. I would like to remind you today, just as we sit in the midst of a culture that is depraved and lost, that we still mark time by the reign of a Judean king. We still mark time 
by the reign of a Judean king. They try to make it where B.C. stands for before common era or whatever it is now. C.E. is common era. Don't be fooled. We mark time on the basis of the reign of a Judean king. His name is King Jesus. And today is 2018, a time that's marked. It may not be quite accurate as we would like it to be, but it is a time that is marked by the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. That as far away as our culture gets, we still mark time by King Jesus. What do we think about Jeremiah, though? When we hear about his calling, like most prophetic works of the Old Testament, Jeremiah begins and gives us an account of his prophetic call. This is not unusual. It's very normal for for the prophets to give this account of how God called them. I was thinking through this and reflecting on how God called me into ministry. It was a very specific time, a specific place, and I can remember, uh, I couldn't give you the specific date, but I could probably figure it out with a calendar. I remember when God clearly revealed to me that I was to be called into ministry. And Jeremiah is no different here. He can clearly remember the time and the place that he was called into ministry. The Lord came to him and spoke to him audibly. And this is what is recorded. He says, first of all, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. These words probably weren't so controversial when they were first penned back in the 600s B.C. These words probably weren't so so misunderstood in 600 B.C. as they are today. We are living in a day and time where, where the words that I just spoke are some of the most unwelcome, controversial words that I could speak to a lost and dying world around us. That we would dare say something about life, appointment, consecration, prior to the birth of a baby. But this is exactly, this is exactly what Jeremiah says here. The reality is, if Jeremiah were alive today, He may not have survived the womb to become a prophet. In the last 45 years, we've sacrificed 40 million of our babies. The mother's womb has become one of the most dangerous places in the world. Name me another place where 40 million people have lost their lives. On Friday, hundreds of thousands of pro-life Americans gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. for the 45th annual March for Life. The March for Life continues to be a faithful witness for truth that life is worth preserving. And I love the fact that Jeremiah's prophetic voice may not have even registered in the ears of the Israelites when they first heard this, but here we are millennia later and we recognize this and read this and this is a place where we today find hope in the prophet Jeremiah's words that before I formed you in the womb I knew you men and women we have to believe that the babies in the wombs of America are known by God they are created in the image of God 
and we are participants in a genocide that's unmatched in the course of history. Forty, uh, 60 million, I'm sorry, I said 40 million, 60 million. Who knows the potential and promise contained in that number? Who knows what we have lost in that time? Good news is that abortion numbers have reached their lowest since 1973. But that's not necessarily indicative of a sudden change of heart. There are other reasons that that may be the case. And until we as a people decide that we cannot tolerate a culture that encourages this behavior, we must continue to stand up for the first rights guaranteed to us by our Creator. According to our founding documents, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are... You can stop at life. We can't get that one right. How in the world are we going to get liberty in the pursuit of happiness right? What are we doing as a people to stand up for that right? I'm proud as a church. We support our local pregnancy resource center. We give monthly contributions to them to help them accomplish their task. But there's more that can be done. They need volunteers on a regular basis. I would love if we had people from our church, ladies from our church, who would volunteer at our pregnancy resource center, giving their time to go mentor young ladies who... Uh, who are abortion-minded, to help them understand what life is all about. Uh, there are things that we can do if we are willing to give of our time. Jeremiah the prophet recognizes, as the Lord tells him, before you were formed in the womb of your mother, I knew you before you were born, I consecrated you, and I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Let us not lose sight of that in our world today. The second aspect of Jeremiah's call also warrants our consideration today. Jeremiah's response when the word of the Lord came to him was what? Lord, I'm but a kid. I'm a youth. I'm a student. Did you ever notice how many of God's picks have some sort of immediate obstacle to being chosen and picked? I mean, every one of them's got something immediately. Uh, for instance, Moses. What was Moses' instant, uh, instant response? I, 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 I got a speech impediment, Lord. <laughs> I can't speak clearly. You need somebody who can talk clearly. Uh, you don't need me. And the Lord overcame that. Isaiah came before the Lord, and Isaiah immediately had an obstacle. It was a legitimate obstacle, right? He says, what? Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized he was a sinner, and he had no business Speaking for the Lord, what did the Lord do? Let me take care of that sin, Isaiah, with that hot coal from the altar. David, he wasn't the first pick. He was the guy that was out tending the sheep while everybody else was getting looked over. He was the guy that nobody thought should be, should be the king, yet he was the one who was God's pick. Paul had a pretty good excuse, right? He was on his way to Damascus to persecute and kill Christians. That's a pretty good excuse to not be used by the Lord. And Jesus came to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's obstacle suddenly became overcame as the Lord met Saul and changed him into Paul. Jeremiah had an obstacle and he identified his obstacle was his youth. Now to be fair, 
he had a pretty substantial calling for a teenager. We think he was in his teens, maybe as old as 17, maybe a little bit younger. We're not sure completely, but we're pretty, pretty confident he was a teenager. And look what God says to this teenager. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's a, that's a big call. Maybe Jeremiah was hoping for more of a graduated calling. I've appointed you captain of the school debate team. And we'll see where it goes from there. But God looked at Jeremiah and said, don't worry, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will give you the words that you need. What you see is an obstacle. What does God see? God sees a gateway to a long, fruitful ministry. It wasn't fruitful in the sense that it, it produced fruit, but it was fruitful in the sense that, that it accomplished its purpose of pronouncing judgment and, and declaring the word of the Lord to these people. He had 40 years to preach, 40 years to, to bring a lot of doom and gloom to the nation. He was young, a young man when he started. It was not an obstacle to the Lord, it was an obstacle to Jeremiah. And I think there are two sides to this, to this coin. Specifically, there are some of us in the room who use our age as a crutch. The reality is, is this happens on both sides of the spectrum. If you're a teenager, you're in the same place that Jeremiah was. He was somewhere between 13 and 17 when he was called. And I would simply ask our teenagers, what are you doing with your life as a follower of Jesus? What are you doing with it? You're a teenager, you're an adolescent, you are, you are young in the faith. What are you doing with your life as a follower of Jesus? Imagine if you were 15 years old and the Lord audibly spoke to you and told you that he wanted you to be a preacher and that you were to begin preaching immediately. Are you sure, Lord? There are far, people far more qualified than me. There are those who can do a better job. I was 19 when the Lord called me. And my pastor at the time asked me to preach my very first sermon on a Wednesday night at prayer meeting. And I'm pretty sure it was awful. But you know what that first sermon did for me? That first eight and a half to nine minute sermon? And that was with three points, two illustrations, and a prayer. <laughs> Some of y'all are thinking, he's gone longer than that now. I haven't even said in closing yet. That first eight and a half minute sermon put a fire in my bones for the word of God and declaring the word of God. And so I don't know that a soul in that prayer meeting was, was affected by I felt a lot like Jeremiah. I preached and nobody responded. But that, that little bit of time in front of God's people put a fire in my bones for something that couldn't be put out. I was 19. If you're a teenager, you ought to enjoy being a teenager. Amen? Enjoy being a teenager. Don't be stupid. But enjoy being a teenager. It's fun. But don't enjoy it so much that you forget that God wants to use you. And some of you, under the sound of my voice today, God may even be calling you in some capacity. It's not unusual for, 
15, 16, 17-year-olds to know that God's calling them into ministry. It's not unusual for a 17, 16-year-old to, to recognize God is calling them into the mission field. That's not unusual. And for some of you, that's what God is doing. Don't let your teenage years ruin what God wants to do with you in your future. For some, youth is an obstacle. But there's another end of that spectrum, right? It's not just youngness, youthfulness, that is an obstacle. Some other folks like to use their age as a crutch. How many of us reach our retirement years and hang it all up? I find it absolutely amazing that in the stage of life when you could be the most useful to the Lord, there are so many Christians who lay down their swords and wait until they get to the sweet by and by. I'm just done. While there are certainly health issues and physical limitations that come with age, if you're retired, your opportunities to do much for the kingdom abound. As Southern Baptists, we have disaster relief programs, and if you've ever served in a disaster relief team, you'll notice that there's a common denominator among those who serve in a disaster relief team. Their hair is a little bit different than, than the hair of, of younger folks. It's either fallen out or turned different colors. Because senior adults are available to go to a disaster zone and help cook. Senior adults are available for those things. If you've ever heard of the Master's Program, that's not this golf course over in Augusta. The Master's Program is a program through the International Mission Board where they take retirees and take them to the mission field using whatever their profession was before they retired. I've heard of 50-year-olds and 55-year-olds who were able to retire early and then go spend 5 or 10 years on the mission field in their retirement doing what they did during their career, just doing it for the Lord in a different place. What a delight, what a blessing for folks in their retirement to simply begin investing in the kingdom in the time of life when they are most available. For some, simply investing in the young Jeremiah's in the room would go a long way in the kingdom of God. Just to invest in these young men and young women who are in their teens who are trying to figure out what God wants to do in their life and would benefit so tremendously if, a, if an older saint would just pour into their lives. I benefited tremendously from an elderly man in our congregation who spent his time pouring into me. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But I benefited from that. I benefited from that tremendously. And I can't help but think that if, if an older saint 15 years ago, 20 years ago, had invested in me like that, some of the mistakes that I could have avoided, some of the errors that I could have missed. I look at our teenagers today and I think, what, what would happen if, if our senior adults would intentionally and purposefully single them out and invest in them? What would that be like? Age shouldn't be a crutch to keep us from doing much for the kingdom of God. Whether you're 17 or 70, don't let your age be an obstacle for the Lord to use you. Now, of course, age was Jeremiah's obstacle. That's not the, the only obstacle. We use all kinds of excuses to stop from, from being used. Some claim that they're too busy. Some claim that they lack the resources. Some simply refuse to submit their lives to the Lord. I love the promise, though, that the Lord makes to this young prophet. 
What's he say? That's not an obstacle, Jeremiah. He says, where I send you, you're going to go. And when I command you, you're going to speak. Jeremiah, when you stand up in front of those people who don't want to hear your voice, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of them. Why? Listen to this. For I am with you. I'm with you. I can't think of a more assuring promise than the Word of God saying that He's with me. He's with me. If you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, you ain't got anything to worry about. And here's the thing, it's not a secret what God wants to do with us. We may have all different callings, we have lots of different gifts, we may all look, all those different opportunities may look different for each one of us, but it's all the same. The Lord wants you to trust Him, the Lord wants you to follow Him, and the Lord wants you to make much of Him in your life. That's what God wants from us, whether you're the, the preacher or whether you've got, you've got a, a secular job that you never see a pulpit. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to trust Him, and He wants you to make much of Him in your life, regardless of what it is that your life is doing right now. The Lord says, I'll take care of you. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid when you stand and stand in my word and stand in my authority. Don't be afraid. I'll put my words in your mouth. Just surrender to me. I was reminded of one of the most courageous saints in church history this week as I was listening to a sermon. Reminded about the execution of Polycarp. We don't hear much about Polycarp today. He's a first-generation believer. He was one of John's disciples. And Polycarp is one of the most courageous saints of old. Polycarp was being tried and being executed. He was being taken into an arena. And as he was going before his trial, a voice came from heaven and said, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Have courage in front of the, the official you're facing. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers and sisters who were there heard the voice. And when the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp, and on hearing that, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, to turn his back on his faith. The proconsul said, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists. And Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude that had gathered in the stadium, and he gestured to them all, away with the atheists! Swear, urged the proconsul. Reproach Christ, I will set you free. And Polycarp said this, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, he said. 
For it is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire? Well, that only burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. It was all done in the time it takes to tell. The crowd collected wood and bundles of sticks from the shops and public baths. and The Jews, as usual, were keen to help. When the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, undid his belt, tried to take off his sandals, something he was not used to, as the faithful always raced to do it for him, each wanting to be the one to touch his skin. When they tried to fix him with nails to the stake, he said, Leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. And so they bound him with his hands behind him like a distinguished ram, chosen from a great flock for sacrifice, ready to be an acceptable burnt offering to God. He looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and of all all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice. And you, the true God, having predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled, I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, to you with him through the Holy Ghost. Be glory both now and forever. Amen. The fire was lit. The flames blazed furiously. Those of us who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle, and this is why we've been preserved to tell the story. The fire shaped itself into the form of an arch like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of the martyr. Inside it, he looked not like flesh that is burnt, but like bread that is baked or gold and silver glowing in a furnace. And we smelt a sweet scent like frankincense or some such precious spices. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. And the story concludes that so much blood gushed from Polycarp's heart that the fires of his execution pyre were extinguished by his blood. Like Jeremiah, God wants us to make much of our life for him. Even if our ministry is not successful, even if we don't see many converts, even if we speak to a culture that's not interested in hearing what we have to say, God wants us to make much of him. So I don't know where you are today, but I would ask you, are you, much, are you making much of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life today? Are you investing, if you're of an older generation, in the younger generation? If you're in a younger generation, are you listening for the possibility that the Lord may have something special in mind for you? What obstacles have you put in place to prevent the Lord from doing much with you and through you.
bow our heads and close our eyes. I know that there's some in the room today that their first obstacle is It's not that they're young or that they're old. Their first obstacle is that they refuse to give their life to Jesus. And, and they're like sauce without a chicken nugget. They got all the stuff, but they're missing the substance. And all the things of, of the faith are useless. They're just empty works if there's not a Savior underneath. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you do all the stuff, you're at church today, I would ask and implore you today, to give your life to Jesus, that you might make much of Jesus in your life from this point forward. Every one of us had that moment in time when we can say, yes, the Lord has rescued and redeemed us, and now we're children of his. I want to invite you to that today in just a second as we pray and stand and pray and sing, that you would come and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. Maybe you're here today and you put obstacles in your life to prevent you from doing what God would have you to do. Some have used age, some have used schedule, some have used resources, whatever obstacles that there may be. Some are sinful obstacles and, 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 and hard hearts and, and broken hearts and, and, and things that, that if the Lord says, I want you to, you immediately say, Lord, I can't because of this or because of that. Let those obstacles be removed. The Lord looked at Jeremiah and said, do not say I am only a youth because I'm going to be with you. The Lord looks at you and says, do not say that you don't have the time. Do not say that you don't have the resources. Do not say that you've got a deep hurt because I will be with you. You will go where I want you to go and you will say what I want you to say. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Some of us, our obstacles are so, so high that we're afraid of what's on the other side of them. And I can promise you today, if you begin to deal with that obstacle and begin to tear it down, that what you'll find on the other side is a Savior who wants to use you and make much of you and let you make much of Him. God, we thank you for the prophet Jeremiah, for his calling, and how that calling still speaks to us today. Lord, we thank you for a clear teaching in your scripture about the value of life and the integrity of, of, of those, those babies created in your image and likeness. Lord, how dare we, as Americans today, allow the mother's womb to be the most dangerous place in our country? Oh God, would you motivate us and stir us to do something today? And God, for those here today that are not followers of Jesus, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. It would be a happy day for somebody today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. You respond as the Lord would lead you to. If you're here and you're not a Christian, now is the time for salvation. Come and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Let's stand and sing. Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear him.
redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the realest defender who truly believes and all met from Jesus, the Lord of mercy. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. guys be seated for just a minute. Eli, come on up here. This kid ain't scared of nothing. That's why I'm bringing up here alone. Eli, what happened to you this week? I got saved. What'd you get saved from? My sins. Look at that. Who, who saved you? Jesus. That's right. That, there we go. <clears throat> we celebrate when these things happen. And did you know that, uh, that somebody else just got saved recently? And uh, we're going to baptize both of y'all about uh, at the same time. As a matter of fact, if you look in the bulletin, you will see that we've got baptismal service. But it's not going to be here. It's going to be at the YMCA. And so I think the worship team's working on a, a, a new song for that day. <laughs> um, so, so on February 4th, we're going to finish early here. I know you're like, yeah, right. We're going to finish early here. And we're going to all travel over to the Y, and we're going to baptize in their pool over there. And I say that because I know there's others in the room today who need to get, who need to get that straight out. They need to get baptized because they've never been baptized. And, uh, and I would love to have, have, a, have a bunch of folks get dunked in the YMCA pool over there. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, just, uh, we'll, we'll take the place over. They're giving us a meeting room to have a little luncheon afterwards, and so, uh, so it's going to be really great over there. They were so helpful. I went over there, and I said, can we do this here? Like, can we pray? And, and she said, well, it, there is a C in the name. I said, yeah, I know, but uh, I don't want anybody to get in trouble because we're, uh, we're baptizing in the Y. But, uh, but we're going to baptize in the Y, and it's going to be a blast to go over there. So, uh, so I say that, that if you're here and you hadn't got that squared away, that there's a great opportunity. We're going to have at least two in the water, and uh, we'd love to have some more in there who need to get that squared away uh, on that day. We'll have a baptismal service. And so, uh, so Eli, you're going to stand right here. Actually, sit down. I'm going to talk for just a more, another minute. Did you turn the Internet off,